Welcome to Well-Designed Lives with Brad Wiesner, our weekly podcast that brings you interesting people and deep conversations about all things beauty and about how others curate a well-designed life. Welcome, dear listeners. So today we have something special for you guys. We have the sparkling Billy Buttery on today. Yes, that's her name, but there's a lot in that name you're going to see. She is an accomplished producer and author of her podcast, Food is Culture, and she's always exciting and conversational. She has a light and fun take on things. I had been a guest on her podcast and had a blast getting to know her. I now consider her a good friend. She lives in Toronto, in Ontario, Canada, and she has a rich journey in her life path. Among other things, wait till you hear about the origins of the subway in Toronto. I thought it was kind of cool. She's great, and I think you'll enjoy her easy manner and her always pleasant way of approaching things. You can listen to Food is Culture, a podcast anywhere that you stream or listen to podcasts, and she also has a blog with all the links at billybuttery.com or you can find them on her Instagram which is also at billybuttery without further ado let's visit with Billy and welcome welcome to Billy I can't believe you're here this is awesome I'm I'm so glad you're here. I didn't want you to be my first recording that I did. I wanted to practice a little bit so that it would be good for you. So welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Brad. I am so excited. After we met and we did um, the interview on my show, I literally bounced up to my husband and I said, I just had the best interview. And I hope Brad and I are just friends forever. (laughs) It's funny how you you know, you bond and we're not in person anymore. Isn't that weird? Mm -hmm. It's so weird. Yeah. Well, for our guests listening, um, I was a guest on Billy's podcast. Uh, Billy's in Canada, Ontario, and Toronto. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, her podcast is called Food is Culture. And it's fascinating to hear her guests are very varied. Another flight attendant here, a guy who organizes uh, parties and things there, a woman who is about health and nutrition. It's really this wide gamut of, you know, all things food. And she wraps it around culture and, and particularly that individual's culture, I would say. What, how, how do you describe it? Yeah, I think um, when I first sort of sat down and brainstormed what I wanted to be, I wanted to interview people who had a really rich cultural experience an individual cultural experience growing up different than I had in Toronto. We're so lucky that it's such a multicultural city. So I got to sit at lots of different dining room tables and lots of different foods growing up. So I wanted to somehow incorporate that into each episode, you know, get to sit down and understand the different traditions, understand the different flavors and music and fashion, and just get a little taste of that culture for um, an hour or 45 minutes. And I'm lucky that I have such fun friends that grew up in such cool places and had such rich cultural experiences growing up, um, that I haven't really had to dig too deep. I kind of just, Hey, or acquaintances, Hey, can I interview you? You grew up somewhere really cool. Can I interview you? And, um, and I'm really loving it so far. I'm really loving it. 
I had a blast. Uh, you and I, for, for anyone who has listened to the episode where I was a guest, uh, Billy and I had a great time talking about fine dining, manners, and, and many things. So I'm certain we are going to slip into that genre today. I'm going to mm-hmm. try to keep us out of too deep and, and talk more about Billy today. But if you've heard that podcast, you may hear some repetitive things today <laughs> because I think we both share that passion of, of beautiful hospitality. You know? mm-hmm. So your podcast, I, I, I want to guess, I don't really know, you have 50 episodes? Uh, yeah, I think I just posted 48 this week, number 48 really? this week. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I'm just starting and I, it's, mm-hmm. I'm pretty envious that there's that quantity, that volume that you've been able to do that. That's, that's just awesome. So we were just talking and you said your mother is or has been a, a fine men's tailor. Mm-hmm. I happen to be fascinated with men's, fa- well, all fashion. Mm-hmm. The, what does she do? So she studied men's tailoring as that was sort of her trade. Um, in high school, she ended up, I think she graduated, but she was essentially d- deciding to drop out and she took this course on men's tailoring. And at, at that time, um, there was no, there was no such thing as women's t- tailor for men's suits, but she loved it. And she sort of worked her way through fashion and different, doing different things. And now she works in film, but uh-huh. men's tailoring still plays a big part. You know, she always ends up on like a cop show or like an athlete, a bas- basketball show or a hockey show. And there's so many suits that all the players wear in the movies and the shows and stuff. So it's something that she still does to this day, but now she's in uh, wardrobe and film and she's done a whole bunch of Christmas, a slew of Christmas Netflix movies as of late. So fascinating <laughs> to me, that's fascinating. I would love to yeah. go with her on set, see the wardrobe department, you know, and how they how they do that. So who is your favorite menswear designer? Uh, Tom Ford, for sure. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. You know what? I love his classic lines. Um, I was recently just flipping through like a little biography of him and I love his quotes. And one of his quotes was something about he loves London because even if it's casual, you're still in a suit and he likes to wear a suit and a tie. And I just... I love that. You know, he studied architecture. He wanted to become an architect and then he dropped out and went to fashion school. Go figure. Mm-hmm. That's, I love the guy. Why mm-hmm. do I love this guy? So I know, I, I, I know that you say sometimes when you're in a quandary, what would Tom Ford do? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, just, <laughs> you know, let's be sure we default because you can't be overdressed really. And the, he wears his clothing, which I think is so sophisticated. It's classic but it's fresh i don't know how to describe it but there's an ease there's a confidence and ease of course that you have to have with clothing so one of the things that that uh, draws me to fashion men's or women's is you know we design window treatments we design draperies we design shades and you know and there's so many things that go into it part of it is math Part of it is a window is a problem that needs to be solved. We either want the view or we want privacy or we want light or we want to control the light. We want to soften the light. There's many, many things we do. And so in curtain making, as an example, I love beautiful floor length panels that are rich and they're silk or whatever. But when you have the kind of drapery that would be very draping, you know, you have the the big swags that come across, you have the cascading jabots and cascades that come down, and of course the panels. That requires, it's not a seamstress, it's a, it's a fashion maker, someone like your mother, 
who mm-hmm. they get it. They know how to drape mm-hmm. the art of draping. On the other hand, if I was doing Tom Ford's condominium, it might well be very clean, straight panels, very, very architectural, and there's no flounce at all, right? Mm-hmm. I would look to a different soft room, workroom, who can, can really execute linen or things that are going to keep that straight architectural line like that. But on the other hand, when you want the, the, the soft, the feminine, you need somebody who understands the art of draping. Well, that's Mm -hmm. really fashion. You know, men's, Mm -hmm. men's suits are basically flat work. You know, you Mm -hmm. lay it out, you cut it flat and put it together. It's just sort of architectural and structure. And women's clothing is very cut on the bias, drape this, and there's an art to all of it. Mm-hmm. Chiffon, silks, everything. You know, it just it lies different than a beautiful twill or a beautiful, you know, linen suit or anything. Yeah. It's just two different beasts. So in, in my <laughs> world to play with those textures, uh, you know, matters a lot. But uh, mm-hmm. so that's that's great. So and of cur- curtains, my husband never really understood layering curtains. All the curtains in our house, we have shears and then we have like a curtain in front of it Absolutely. Um, because it, I like light, but I also like a little bit of privacy. And my husband was like, I've never heard of this layering curtains, layering curtains. I was like, I'm teaching you. <laughs> let, me, let me talk to him. Let me talk. To him. You have to, you have to, yeah. you know, here in my office, for example, we don't have shears, just these beautiful ivory silk panels. And I don't know, you know, you play with it, you decide what is, what is the look you want? What is the feel? But I almost always in my clients' homes, I want those shears and then, and then the proper curtains. Mm-hmm. So, so the only room we don't have it is in my daughter's room because when the windows are open, they're open, but we have blackout curtains in her room. Absolutely. So your podcast, mm-hmm. Food is Culture by Billy Buttery. Mm-hmm. Billy, how'd you come across that name? <laughs> Billy Buttery? It's- it's a little funny. So my dad is William, but he grew up as Bill. Uh, he grew up in a small uh, rural town, I guess. He, my grandparents had a farm growing up, so everyone called him Bill. So when my mom met him, they were both living in Toronto, both working in film. And my mom said, Bill, Wait, it's what is so... Your la- what is your dad's last name? Buttery. Oh, um, your father... Buttery is my maiden name. Father is William Buttery. Yeah. The filmmaker. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I just thought it was a wild coincidence. So you go by your maiden name. Bada yeah. boom. And you, yeah. have, you, you have your dad's name. That answers a lot. Okay, cool. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. So introduce your dad. Oh yeah. So he, um, so he went by Bill. So my mom said, you know what, Bill is so pedestrian. It sounds like you're like a mechanic or something. You should, you should have your name on your, on your, on your dungaree shirt. So I'm going to call you Billy. Cause it's just, just a little bit cooler. Um, and then when she, uh, then when I was, I was born, they were like, what are we going to name this little girl? You know, I grew up at very downtown Toronto in Yorkville. If you, to give you a sort of sense of where I grew up down the street, this whole rent through, which is like our Neiman Marcus. Oh, you went way too fast. Hold on. So for, <laughs> no, for uh, the United States folks that don't know, it's called Holt Renfrew. And it is yeah. a beautiful department store. It's Bergdorf Goodman meets Neiman Marcus. Um, mm-hmm. I went to the one in Montreal one time, but anyway, so mm-hmm. you live near there. Yeah. Like it's on the next block on the same street. So Chanel is down the street. Louis Vuitton is down the street. So my mom said, you know, what'd be really ironic is if we named this little girl, Billy Joe, it's so country and she's so city and it'll just be just a super cute little name growing up. 
it was not super cute. It was quite hard to grow up in Billy Joe in, uh, in downtown Toronto, but I've learned to love it. And I essentially just go by Billy now, Billy Buttery, but it is my real name. <laughs> when, when I, when I first, so of course you, you know, the, the irony of, and you talk about food all too convenient, but I don't know, <laughs> I've come to know you and um, I adore your name. I adore it. I Thank think it's you. you. I did Billy Buttery. That's her. She's up. You're effervescent. You're pretty. You're a very pretty woman. Uh, Thank you. And uh, your personality matches. So, uh, well, that's cool. That's cool. Thank so, you. Because I was going to, so food is culture, uh, Billy Buttery. I was going to tease you and say, so which came first? You know, your last name, Billy Buttery, <laughs> or the podcast Food is Culture? I think I changed my name to match the podcast, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I. I, I always enjoyed cooking growing up. I was a little bit of a latchkey kid at one point when I was a kid, my brother and I, um, my parents work in film. It's, you know, it's crazy hours. So I started cooking for my brother and I at a young age, I'd say like around 11, 12 and, but I loved baking and I started baking pretty much, you know, almost daily at one point in my early twenties. And then I was working in advertising at the time and I didn't love my job. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't want to go to this like windowless awful office with this gray carpet that I hated the carpet. I just couldn't stand looking at this carpet anymore. And my husband and I um, were getting married and he said, you know what? You, there was a, a hair salon I used to work at in high school. And he was like, why don't you go see if you can get your job back as a receptionist and start going back to go back to school. You've always wanted to go to school for culinary, go to school, go, go do it, go take some baking classes. So I worked at the salon on the weekend as a little shop girl and did appointments and, you know, made a little bit of, I used to call it magazine and Starbucks money. And I would, I went to school during the week and took culinary classes and baking classes. And I loved it. Okay. There's about so eight, eight things to unpack in that whole thing okay. <laughs> for our listeners. Number one. When you listen to Billy's podcast, I used to think, oh, she sped it up. Like, how do you make, how do you make it all go fast? I know she went too long. She tried to shorten the episode. So she just sped up the speed. Right. And then I learned, nope, that's how she talks. This mm -hmm. woman, her brain goes faster than her mouth. And it is just yet another attractive thing about you, Billy, that I just love how fast you think. So there's that. Number two. You, our listeners won't know this, I don't think, but you and I share such a similar trajectory in our lives uh, in, in the early years of being exposed to fine things. And then I started cooking with baking and really a latchkey kit. Uh, you and I have such a uh, parallel life and existence that it, it, it's that uncanny thing that I think helps you become friends. All right. Mm -hmm. So now there you are, you're, you're, you're in Toronto and I have a mm -hmm. million questions before you go any further. So you're 20, mm -hmm. you did yeah. go back to the hair salon, right? Yeah. Toronto, you must have a lot of snow. Oh my goodness. We have tons of snow. We finally got some this winter. We didn't have any this the last couple of months. And uh, on Monday, I think it's like up to my thigh. I think I know the answer, <laughs> but do you like the snow? I do now. When I was a kid, I loved the snow. And then I think if you're not playing in the snow and you aren't a big outdoor winter person, I, I could take or leave it for the last few years. But now seeing the snow through my son's eyes, who loves it, and he could be outside for hours. He has his snow pants and his big coat and his mittens. He literally went outside at 5 p.m. The sun was setting and he played outside by himself for 45 minutes and built a huge snowman being like reintroduced to things through the kids' eyes, it yeah. really brings that sense of joy back for me. Like seeing my kids in the pool or seeing them at a splash pad when they're giggling and laughing and running around, there's, it's just so infectious. You can't help but love it too. So 
seeing the snow through their eyes and tobogganing. I'm having so much fun tobogganing the last couple of days. It's a workout for anyone that hasn't gone tobogganing <laughs> since they were a kid. I mean, I have not been on a sled since maybe I was 12 years old, maybe 11 years old. Brad, it was so much fun. I, it I, was I mean, so much fun. You, you see it in your head. You see, it's like riding a bike. I mean, well, I'm going to go do this thing. I would love it. You know, I love to snow ski. Come on, mm -hmm. come on. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. So how much like the USA, because <clears throat> Toronto touches almost, right? I mean, you're just mm -hmm. around the corner from Niagara Falls there. So how much is Toronto like the USA, do you think? Or how much Canada is in Toronto? Um, you know, visiting a big city, I think Toronto, Vancouver, which is on the other side of the country, it's just like visiting a small New York or a Chicago or an LA. When I, I mean, growing up, we always hear Toronto are the nicest, Torontonians are the nicest people, Torontonians are the nicest people. Um, the first time I went to Chicago, I was 21 and 22, I think. And after meeting people from Chicago, I was like, you know what? Toronto has nothing on the people from Chicago. Correct. People from Chicago are the nicest people. Correct. I had such Correct. a great time there. Me too. Me too. Um, I took the, the subway or like the air train and everyone was so pleasant. Everyone was so nice. So I here's was like, what I, I want to go to Chicago. <laughs> so I'm from Washington, D.C., right? There's four cities I always talk about. You know, in D.C., you're growing up right next to you. They're speaking Japanese. But coming right across the intersection is this woman. She's French. You, I mean, just by the way she dresses and she's on her phone and she's speaking French. And it's just such a, um, it's not unkind. It's not, it's just busy. It's not yeah. brusque. It's just, you're not in their sphere. They're not, you're not even, they have blinders on because we're, okay, right? Mm -hmm. Then you go to New York and you try to say hi to someone and they look at you with like, what in the F? <laughs> Get away from me, right? Yeah. But then you go to LA and they come up to you and go, hi, hi. Mm -hmm. And they're just talking and you're like, what are you doing? Is this? And then you go to Chicago and you stand on the corner. The guy's reading the paper on the street corner. Like who does mm -hmm. that? He's reading a newspaper, stand on the corner, like Clark Kent. And he looks over <laughs> and he says, good morning. And you're like, good morning. And that's it. Mm -hmm. It's just so they have broad shoulders. They're friendly. It's clean. Mm -hmm. Chicago is the best kept secret in the United States, I think. Totally, totally. And I feel like if I was going to connect a city to Toronto, I would say Chicago is probably the most like, um, awesome. most like Toronto, like a, t a tiny, a tiny Chicago. Like if you took a little pocket of Chicago, that would be us. <laughs> Only Chicago is even more beautiful because of the water and all the beautiful buildings. Toronto so you'll get this, place. you'll get this. I feel that Chicago is a design town. And I mean, mm -hmm. Chicagoans care about design. They care about the streets, the layout, the gardening. They care about landscaping and architecture. They care about fashion, interior design, automobile design, all of it. Chicago is beautiful to me. Mm -hmm. Totally. When I think of Chicago, I think of, did you ever watch Gotham? A no, TV show? No. It's, oh, you would love it for the design. You would love it. But I think of Gotham. I think of Superman, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what what's the city called metropolis metropolis yeah yep. or if i mean now with kid life with the two kids uh the incredibles every building is so unique and so beautiful and so architectural i love it all right we're going to come back to that remember the mm -hmm. incredibles the buildings yes. okay and yes. we'll talk about the metaverse but first mm -hmm. of all so you've been to niagara falls i'm sure yeah i mean it's a standard summer weekend trip as a sure. kid 
yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've been to the falls a few times now as an, as an adult, I haven't been in a couple of years, but now, you know, there's the vineyards up there as well, um, which is always fun to go and spend a weekend at a little inn and go visit a vineyard, do a wine tasting. And then in, in Toronto, do they really, do they, do they call them subway carriages? Or we cars? just call them the subway. Just the subway. Yeah, the subway. Okay. okay. I heard someone say subway carriage and I'm like, isn't that romantic? We just call them mm-hmm. subway cars. Train cars. Yeah, this yeah. is a subway. Um, um, the fun fact though, in the subway, our subways are custom designed in Toronto because our underground was originally for horses and carriages. So there are certain, so all the original subway tunnels, which I'm sure have all been re dug up at this point, but they were, um, they were designed that horses and carriages could fit through. So our subways made by Barmardier are a special, a special size. Wow. Hold on. Mm-hmm. So horses and carriages used to have underground passage. Mm-hmm. Period. I mean, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And then Bombardier, the, the aircraft manufacturer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. they make our subways. Wow. Yeah. Do you think I would like Kensington Market? Um, It's fun. Mm-hmm. It's, little, it's fun. Is I it think kind of standard? Think, yeah, Kensington Market is sort of like you're going to find amazing thrift shops. Like my girlfriend has been, I've been saying I really want a pair of cowboy boots. I have to have one. I don't have a pair. So my girlfriend's like, we need to go down to Kensington. We'll find there's great like leather goods stores. There's great psychics. There's great little restaurants, little hidden gems. There's great, um, there's a great Mexican grocery store that my husband and I always hit up before we do Mexican night at home. It's fun. And in the summer, there's no cars allowed. So it's just a big pedestrian sort of piazza style. It's fun. Yeah. I think you would love Yorkville though. Yorkville is Yorkville. similar. It's a little bit more, it's midtown. But that's but a neighborhood the neighborhood that you grew up in. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I know and I would love it. I know. It. You Chanel, love it. Holt Renfrew. Come on. Mm-hmm. Well, and also there is a petition to also block off the street. So it can become a, kind of a piazza, but there's a great park with a beautiful fountain. We have this thing called the big rock and it's this massive huge rock and everyone has their posh little sandwiches and lattes and you sit on there and have some sunbathing and it's great and in the winter time there's the ice festivals so there's all these ice sculptures and there's the jazz fest and it's it's a great little neighborhood have you been to bar chef or bar raval yes i haven't been to bar chef in forever but their cocktails are amazing their experiences so i'm a recovering alcoholic and i don't drink anymore i am just about at my 11 year anniversary but <gasps> that's amazing yeah but I love to go to bars mm-hmm. just because it's fun. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm going to come up, I'm going to visit you. We're going to yes. go, we're going to go bar chef. Yes. I'm, I'm sure dim, they have right. Like, Is it kind of dim in the mocktails? Oh, it's so sexy and cool. So yeah. a few years ago when Beyonce and Jay-Z were in town, they went to bar chef and yeah, it's okay. you have to enter this black velvet curtain and you kind of it's super cozy and these really intimate tables and every cocktail is an experience, but I'm sure they have mocktails too, because oh, sure. it's yeah, everyone does. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you if you're team Toronto or team Mo- Montreal. Okay. I love Montreal. I do. I do. It's honestly, part of my heart is there after my first, uh, my first visit there, I think I was eight, 17 or 18. So drinking age there is 18. So I think I got a fake ID to say I was 18, but I was actually 17. Shh, don't tell anyone, (laughs) but it's kind of a ritual for us Ontario kids to do that. So we went on our grad trip there and I fell in love and I told my mom, you know what, I'm going to learn French and I want to go to McGill and I'm going to study whatever I can learn at McGill uh, so I can go to school there. And it ended up not happening, but I go to, 
at one point I was going to Montreal at least once a month for a weekend. My husband loves Montreal. We have Grand Prix in Montreal. I don't know if you're a yes. Formula One fan. Yeah. Um, and I grew up watching Formula One. My husband grew up watching Formula One. So when we started dating, he had gone to um, Montreal for a Grand Prix and I had just come back myself. And and we realized we had this shared love of Montreal and and all things Formula One. It's so a it was romantic kind of a, city. And it's the so Olds beautiful. It's really, really, I won't waste time on it but we yeah. we were there a long time ago so uh we were at the ritz carlton and it was nice. i think before it was uh, i'm sure it's been updated since but it was just yeah. old school europe you know yeah which i'm a sucker for that and then holt renfrew was right down the street uh mm-hmm. walk two blocks down and you're in the old city with china's the best chinese food i've ever had in my life mm-hmm. was in Montreal. so anyway well old Montreal. i love old Montreal. my favorite place to stay is actually the intercontinental there's this fabulous fur wall. And after a couple of cocktails, I'm like, oh, it's so nice. And you ride down the escalator with the big fur wall and it's walking distance to old Montreal. And there's a great little brunch spot across around the corner and a spa across the street. And uh, yeah, I love Montreal. I always <laughs> like to do dining rooms with these upholstered walls, you know, and it's very cocoonish, right? But it's also mm-hmm. get a little tipsy, you bounce on the wall. It's like, oh, that's soft, mm-hmm. like a big pillow. <laughs> well, here's some fur. Let me rub up on that, you know. <laughs> Yeah, no kids allowed in that room. Grubby little fingers. <laughs> yeah, gosh, I have a million questions, but I don't want this to be like an interview. You know, I don't. I I, I just want to like talk about yeah, you know, more personal things. I I I, mm-hmm. I want to get to know you, but I just have like a million things. So ask let's away. See. You and I share a saying. I say it all the time. You know, I never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love to tell stories and you do too. You know, we're great mm-hmm. storytellers. And, and in that, I think I'm going to ask you your nexus or your genesis of it. But for me in storytelling or joke, I love to tell jokes, right? But all mm-hmm. of my jokes are stories. So people think it's going to be a joke. What's two mm-hmm. plus two? No, mine is <laughs> <laughs> we were at the beach. We were at Long Island. And the mm-hmm. grandmother with the kid. And they're like, uh-huh, did this really happen? I'm like, shut up. And then the kid in the water, <laughs> the shark, you know. And, you know, 20 minutes later, it's like, kaboom, the punchline. They were like, that was yeah. really long. Yeah. but It was, it was a, a journey, but yeah. it was worth it. You I, know what? A good joke is worth it. <laughs> I think a good joke is worth it. And I love to um, bring that to people. I love to share that with people. I feel like I have to earn the right to take that time with them. I have to... I have to get them to trust me enough to, that we're going to go on this journey. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I use the term gullible. That's not really fair. It's not about gullibility, but it's just about an openness to say, I'll, I'll listen, go, you know. So mm-hmm. for me, there's just a, a very deep beauty. And, and one of the many ways that I find beauty is to, you know, I'll talk about old Montreal and the Amtrak train, but I'm building in humor, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think when you're a recovering alcoholic, it's a terrible business. You're getting sober and boy, it's really tough, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's so many dire people really trying that, you know, I like to remind people, yes, yes, it's all important, but we got to laugh a little bit. You still Mm got to laugh, you know, because it's life. And so in telling that story of just going to Montreal or whatever story, you know, and the Amtrak broke down and the noise and then the famous movie actor was right next to us and he was, uh, um, Mm -hmm. that journey. So, for me, it is uh, bringing people to a different place. Mm-hmm. I think I would have to capsulize it that way. Tell me about your interest in storytelling. My, I started when I was very young, for sure. I remember I used to 
have these little, and they weren't plays, but I would literally have these little skits in my mind, which is now a thing, a little skit comedy show, right? Like that's so common, right? We did the same thing. Um, <laughs> I, we were like brother and sister or we were married or something in a past life yes. okay yes because we are just so it's crazy so, uh, yeah yin and yang. Our li- um, my listeners don't really know the time that we've spent talking about many other things the similarities are crazy so please um go ahead yeah so i'd have these little skits and um i'd be practicing them in the bathroom brushing my hair or you know, playing with my dolls. I'd have the dolls play out these little skits and my mom would walk in and be like, are you talking to yourself? And I'm like, well, no, I'm not talking to myself. I'm practicing for a play because as a little kid, that's the only thing I could really like associate what it was. Of course, I grew up with In Living Color and Saturday Night Live and Mad TV. And I just, I just love that. It's a whole little, this little funny story that's so nice and compact. So I feel like that's what I love to do is to have these little, vignettes of a funny story with it you know and I'm pretty expressive so I you know make faces and do hand gestures and all these things um one of my girlfriends years ago my girlfriend Jenny she was like you're the best person to take to a party because you I'll I'll be like okay I'm gonna go flirt with that guy and then I look over and there Billy is in the center of room telling this hilarious story doesn't know anybody making everybody laugh right And, um, and that's definitely me. So for me, storytelling was a way to, especially because I felt a little awkward as a kid and I felt a little bit like a misfit as a kid. It was a way to fit in. Same here. You know, whether I was gay or I was going to become an alcoholic, either way, you don't feel comfortable in your own skin. And Mm so again, I did all the same things. My sisters and I, in a very different generation, uh, we would get the vacuum cleaner and we would take the hose. I'd have the hose as my microphone. She'd have the cord at hers. And we would sing to Diana Ross and the Supreme in front of my parents. And we would give them a show, sing, you know, lip syncing. But uh, I love that. I same, love that. Like, I've thing. always wanted to have my own variety show. Yeah. Well, like in living old... color, you can't get better. <laughs> yeah. Or like sometimes I'll see clips of like the old share and Sunny and Share variety shows. And I'm yep. like, yes, that's what I want. <laughs> so, Billy, I know you'll get this. And you're pretty much, I know you're the same way. We're, we're alike. I have no problem being in New York City, the most brusque, busy, don't bother me kind of city. And I know not to walk up to someone and go, um, hi, you know, would like to, mm-hmm. you're like, what the fuck, get away from me. But I have no problem walking up to someone on the sidewalk and I stop, I wave my finger, you know, you look like someone I should know. Who are you? And I'm waving my I finger at them. That. You know, yes. you look like someone I should know. Who are you? Mm-hmm. And they stop and they're like, that's chutzpah. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you're going to pull that here on a sidewalk in Manhattan, I am going to stop. I, I'll play. What? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. Or yeah. like you at a party where it's you've, a gaggle of people are all around and it's like, okay, let me tell you the other one about the time where and they're all like, <laughs> you are just crazy. And I'm like, well, there's more. And, but yeah. I, and I think uh, you and are, you are still friends with your friend Jenny. Is that right? Mm-hmm, yes. I, I thought I saw some of that maybe. So anyway, yeah. um, you might, I am a very good wingman. Mm-hmm. So if I've got a, a, a guy friend, I don't know, I feel like it might be a straight guy. So, uh, but cause I'm hard, you know, people see me as gay, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm harmless to women. Mm-hmm. They like me. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah. So I'm talking, whatever. And, oh, you're single. And I said, you know, if I have a guy, you know, if I think it's right, you know, I have someone you might want to meet. And they're like, oh, really? You know, because 
you probably <laughs> know. And I'm like, oh, I think I do. Now, don't quote me because I can't. But no, his yeah. name's Chris. He's over, and uh, no, he's right over here. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Let me let me introduce you. I don't know. Yeah. It happens all the time. <laughs> so being informed mm-hmm. as you are by let's go deep being mm-hmm. informed by the universe as you are and by past lives other people's energies I, mm-hmm. I i won't waste time talking about it because i already know you you read energy in a room in a person i know that about you i do too what being informed that way who who informed your life who influenced you who are the top two maybe biggest influences in, in your life? Who helped you become you? You know, that's, it's an interesting question. Definitely my mom. My mom is very spiritual yeah. and she always, even at a young age, she really encouraged, you know, if I have it a weird vibe from someone, you know, in the moment, you know, it was the eighties, nineties, we would just, we just spoke to kids differently. And she would say, Oh no, no, go hug them or go say hi. You have to, you know, blah, blah, blah. but then afterwards she'd be like, why didn't you want to go say hi to that person? Why didn't you want to give them a hug? And as I grew up, she started noticing that I really was in tune with people's vibes and energies. And in some rooms I was myself, I was effervescent. I was bubbly in other rooms. I was just like, you know what? I'm just gonna sit in the corner and color my books and just not pay anybody attention. So definitely my mom. And one of my favorite things growing up that we would do, um, we'd walk over to Holt Renfrew and there was a cafe and she'd get herself a nice big latte or a cappuccino and she'd get me some fresh squeezed orange juice. And we'd each have our croissants and we'd sit and we'd flip through Vogue and Vanity Fair. And um, it sort of ties into one of the other things we had we were sort of talked about in the questionnaire was what is your aesthetic and it's definitely 90s fashion model <laughs> just and minimalistic but also so over the top and that was definitely one of my favorite things and the way my mom never let the truth get in the way of a good story and yeah. it was always you know let's have some fun how can we make this fun and she at times there would be a lot and at times there would be a little and but she never let the times that there would be a little feel like it was a little, if yeah. that makes sense. Yep. You know, every yep. birthday, there was always streamers. There was always balloons. Every Christmas, there was always a tree. There was always presents. There was always this easy form of celebration, you know? Mm-hmm. And even if my, my brother was born on, on a Friday the 13th. So every Friday the 13th, we celebrated his birth date. And she, there would always, she'd always get balloons or, you know, we'd always have ribbon and fabric and everything in the house. She'd string up some chiffon and some ribbon and it would, it would be a party and you'd walk in and it was like, you know, it doesn't matter what it looks like from behind. If it looks good from the front. Oh, that's my mother. That's my mother. (laughs) Go ahead. This is crazy. Yeah. So as long as it looks good, we're all okay. Yeah, exactly. And at first my husband, like when my son was born, my husband would tease me because I, you know, if it was Easter, my son's first Easter, I'd, I collected all the, all the bunnies. My son has a large collection of stuffed animals. I'd collect all the bunnies and I'd find every plastic egg or anything that was colored pastel. So when, when my son walked into the playroom, it just looked like Easter had just thrown up in yep. the room yep. and my son's face would lighten. He'd be, be so excited. And my husband was like, what like that's so all you did was assemble his toys and you know shift things around so it was all pastel colored and I was like yeah you know you just when you walk in you want it to look nice and I think that's I got that definitely from my mom that whole sense of occasion and celebration yeah um and then I also had a nanny growing up and my aunt was also very influential at a part of my life and 
I think I have little bits of pieces from different, from different women um, in my life, you know, from my aunt, it was very focused on reading. My aunt really fostered my love of reading, which I love to this day. I wish I had more time to read. Um, and my nanny always told me when you wake up in the morning, you fold your bed. I'm lucky I have a husband that folds bed every morning. <laughs> so yep. I don't do that anymore, but you know, you accomplish one little task in the morning and then that leads to accomplishing more little tasks. So I definitely got that also from my, from my wonderful nanny when I was a kid. And I think that has my personality or, or is based around those, around those things. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Again, very similar, maybe a different color on my end. I think my mother was maybe a little bit less about the occasion or a celebration. My mother wasn't particularly nurturing in that way. My mom was an alcoholic and, and suffered, but she was definitely put up some chiffon and what's behind it doesn't matter. You know, mm-hmm. put, you know, put it, sit up, put straighten your tie. You know, my sisters, mm-hmm. we all looked good. We always look good, you know, going to church, whatever. We went out to mm-hmm. find restaurants. We went out to cocktail bars with my parents before kids were not allowed to do that anymore. And very associated with my mother's sense of beauty. My mother was a model gorgeous mm-hmm. fashion plate and and a, a, a socialite very beautiful very very vivacious and so in a similar fashion there was this sense of theater you know mm-hmm. I don't think anybody was like we're living a fake life it's just let, let's let's put a gauze over the filter and make it look nicer you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay you know so I wonder if you and I share this let's let me go deep on this one I am an empath. Mm-hmm. I, I used to think that I was sympathetic to people. I didn't know the difference. And when I learned what empathy was, I'm like, oh, that's what I do. You know, mm-hmm. I do. I feel like I'm empathetic. And then when I learned what an empath was, it kind of scared me. And I don't really know a lot about it, but because I didn't read a lot about it, it was a little bit scary. I feel energy. I feel other people's energy. I, I feel a lot of energy, but from people, dogs, horses, and evidently elephants, who knew. Um, <laughs> but there's this feeling I get that is so strong, it can hurt sometimes. It, it becomes a physical thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I'm reading about an empath, and I'm like, whoa, you know, I don't know if I want to be that or not. And it's too bad because you are. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, and the more you you sort of lean into it, I think you'll be surprised at how much more you can feel and all the other senses that really get heightened. Yeah. For me, I, I noticed the first time I really noticed, I think, was when I was in high school and I was at a Jays game, which is our baseball team here. And everyone was singing the national anthem and I started crying because I, I felt such an overwhelming sense of pride. And I was like, how can I, like, do I have that much pride? And it was, I feel like I was feeling the whole stadium singing the national anthem together and just this overwhelming sense of pride that it literally bubbled over into my eyes. And that was the first time that I was like, wait a minute, am I an empath? (laughs) And I kind of talked to my mom about it and she was like, oh yeah. Like when you, even since you were a kid, you know, you just, you could sense, sense what was going on. And I am such a sucker now. I will dry, draw, cry at the drop of a hat. Yeah. And, but I'm also, if I'm in a room full of joy, I will also cry of joy or I will giggle uncontrollably. <laughs> it's energy. To me, it's energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, the older I got, the more easily I would cry. And mm-hmm. like like yourself, it, it could be bad, but it could be good. 
And I thought, wow, you are becoming a sissy. What is up with this crying? What does it mean? And then I'm worried, like, you know, do you, is there something psychological I should be looking into or whatever? Um, it's not. You, I'm, you're just that attuned that you're, mm-hmm. you're really on some wavelength or something. I got to tell you, Billy, I, I can stand in front of a horse. Now, I think age has a little bit to do with this, like with people. You know, children, I don't because they're, they're a fresh slate. There's not a lot there. Um, mm-hmm. unless there's been trauma. Mm-hmm. I'll come back to that in a second. But if there's a richness of life, if there is something, and, and I can, I, I ride horses, but I can be around a horse and get the feeling, I don't talk to me. I don't, it's mm-hmm. not like we're communicating, but mm-hmm. I feel it. I feel mm-hmm. that this poor mare had a, something very bad happen to her in earlier years. I feel that she's okay now. But what, mm-hmm. and uh, dogs, you know, I mean, I can even look at photographs of dogs and get a, a read. It's mm-hmm. not perfect. I'm not, I'm not a psychic. I'm not a medium. None of that shit. I don't care. But if you leaned into it, you might be able to. Who knows where it goes, right? But, yeah. but uh, I can look at someone's dog and say, he knows, he knows things. And mm-hmm. they're like, he does. How do you know that? He, my dog is an old soul. I said, well, I know that. He knows. He takes pleasure in knowing. Um, how do you know that, Brad? That's really weird. So anyway, mm-hmm. but horses and better. And then I was um, in the country, Laos. Uh, this woman who lives with me, she's like my mother. That's another story. But uh, I took her to Laos to see family. Never been there before. And um, it's a beautiful. I, I want to tell you that story someday. You'll mm-hmm. love it. It's a beautiful story. But there we are at a, at a horse, I mean, at an elephant camp. And uh, I know that, that, you know, elephants were beasts of burden, hauling timber. They're not designed for that. It was very bad for them. Riding Mm -hmm. on their backs and and these canopies on their backs, they were not designed for that. You think they're strong, they're not. And so very damaging to have, you know, these animals used that way. And what they are designed for is to really just be and be left alone. And so... Mm -hmm. You, you had a lot of legislation in Thailand, Vietnam, and Laos where it became very uncool. The presidential palace had some vanity animals, you know, an albino tiger, this beautiful peacock, you know, one of a kind, some stallion that was from whatever, and uh, an elephant, uh, a female elephant who was albino. Mm-hmm. And it's very bad to keep some animals alone, like horses and elephants. They need to be in the herd. So... I'm at this camp and I'm not getting up on the back of an elephant. I'm not doing it. I, mm-hmm. And then if you're offering that, it's not cool. But there are, well, I, what would you like to do? I said, I want to do what she wants to do. Well, if you want to give her a bath. And I said, you mean stand in that concrete stall, hold a hose and just port? No. Well, Brad, what you could do is you could go down to the river, the Mekong River, which was always a, And I said, that's it. And we mm-hmm. went down there and she just followed me. And I took off my clothes because it's that kind. You just take off your clothes and you get in the Mekong River. And there she is. She's careful not to step on my toes. And it was just gentle and loving. Mm -hmm. But the big part of the story is back under the pavilion was this white elephant, almost white. And well, here was the story. She was at the presidential palace in Vientiane. And we got her, you know, when they got rid of this vanity zoo. And I'm standing there, and she's touching me all over, very mm-hmm. gentle. And I have no more gourds or pumpkins. And so she's kind of grabbing my fingers 
as an interlocking cup and pulling me just a little bit. So then I pull back on her trunk. And you can feel that the trunk is this tough skin, but underneath it's very soft. And we're just gently pulling each other. Well, mm-hmm. then she takes her trunk and she sort of swirls it around my wrist and then pulls that way. So mm-hmm. I take my whole hand around her trunk and I pull back and we're pulling just a little bit stronger and I'm, I can feel everything that she has to say. Mm-hmm. And she's saying that, you know, being at that palace wasn't all that bad for her. She didn't have a problem really. Um, you know, it was what it was. I don't like, it was almost like she didn't have a frame of reference or I got this feeling mm-hmm. of, but being here is much better, you know, and, mm-hmm. and she likes it here better, except um, this bracelet thing that she wears. They, she doesn't get it. The chain. It was so beautiful. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm getting all of this impression is all it was. Yeah. You know, and uh, and I look around and there is, there's this chain. Oh, that's what she meant by a bracelet, I guess. I mean, she didn't use the word bracelet. I mean, you just yeah. feel it. And yeah. by this point, we're really pulling on each other. And it's just the most gentle and powerful thing. And her Mahut guy stopped it. He's like, okay, n- stop. And I, it's like I woke up. And like a trance, like, yeah. He didn't want it to get any more. I'm like, that's okay. Wow, whatever. And I just stepped back and I just, I was, I was like looking at her. I didn't really say that. I knew that she knew how grateful I was for that moment. Mm-hmm. She, now, there's people who are like, wow, I know horse shit when I hear horse shit. No, that's so, so beautiful, Brad. Oh, like uh, what a beautiful experience. And that happens, I love ele- I love elephants. Well, I'd never really been around them that way. I mm-hmm. certainly never touched one, you know. Mm-hmm. So it happened that kind of thing happens a lot. It happens with people and dogs and stuff. Um I know you're that way. I know mm-hmm. I know that you have that and um mm-hmm. I just feel like we're very gifted. It mm-hmm. um, It's a gift. It is a beautiful gift. And it allows so many beautiful things, but the problem is it can also really hurt. And if I'm around a younger person who has trauma in their lives, I don't need to know. I don't, I don't, I don't, don't even describe it. I'm feeling it and it's horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't take it. I just can't take it. Um, it kills me, mm-hmm. just kills me. And um, so I'm a big advocate for children. I volunteer, I mentor young people. I'm a CASA, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, all that. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I, I've always not enjoyed zoos since I was a kid. I've always, I, I get really melancholy. I kind of disengage. I don't want to be there. I haven't been to a zoo in, in years. The last time I went to a zoo was, uh, the, the Manhattan Zoo, the Central Park Zoo, um, which was fun. It was fun. Um, it was a beautiful summer day and this was, you know, over 10 years ago now, but that was last time I was at a zoo and it was, it was fun, but I just, I don't, I don't think that animals should be caged up like that, especially Um, beautiful exotic animals. They need to run. They need to be free. And I've always had such a love of elephants that um, visiting one of those beautiful camps where all the elephant sanctuaries, I've always wanted to visit one. So that's on my bucket list. And and the big news is, is you celebrate that because they've rescued these elephants from this life of burden, the mountains, Mm -hmm. whatever. But even in the sanctuaries now, there's a big conversation of, are they really? Because the best way to have an elephant sanctuary is that all the elephants are way over there in the acreage and trees. And that's all you can look at them, but you can't know. Mm -mm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, we have to make a little money to support the sanctuary. So why don't we have the elephants come over and you can feed them? Well, 
that's a little unnatural. Why don't we have the mm-hmm. elephants come over? You can feed them, you can touch them, and then we'll let you ride them on their backs. You know, see yeah. right there. You're not really. It's just so. Anyway, there's a big yeah. discussion around that. I, yeah. I we, like you. I have no interest at all to go to a zoo. Mm-hmm. No interest. It just doesn't. It doesn't horrify me. But it's just like you got to be kidding. This is en- this sad. is entertainment. Is this what? Um, except, and I will say, there are times where you know chimpanzees are rescued as babies. Their mother's been mauled to death. They have trauma. They suffer trauma very badly. And mm-hmm. being hand raised by a human, whatever, it's just at a point where they can't be re-indu- reintroduced. Mm-hmm. They'll just mm-hmm. be killed. And so, so I get that, right? And we'll, yeah. call, we'll call those sanctuaries at least. Mm-hmm. But no, a zoo, no. Yeah. No, no. The only time I've taken my kids is to a petting zoo. Like in the fall, we went yeah. and got went to see pigs and stuff. But those pigs have a nice life in those petting zoos. Yeah. <laughs> and those chickens, they're highly coveted at those petting zoos. So, Crazy. but yeah, I feel the same. You know, I, since I was young, I used to freak my mom out. Um, I can tell when a woman's pregnant. See I swear it. I can smell it. Yep. I, a woman will walk by me and I'll just know that she's pregnant. I'll just know. I don't have that, but yeah. <laughs> my partner Michael when, does, yeah. Pardon? My partner Michael can do that. Yeah. I can just, right it's now. In just about two weeks, sense. she's going to tell us she's pregnant. It's a, it's a knowing. It's a sense. Even people I don't know. I was having a massage one time at the Ritz, um, beautiful day spot, the Ritz in Toronto. And, um, you know, I said two words to my massage therapist. Hi, how are you doing? Okay. We're just full body. Yeah. Great. Okay. Perfect. You know, lie down on the table. I'll be back in a second. And while she was massaging me, I could, t- I like honestly couldn't, I knew her inner dialogue in her head was, oh my goodness, I'm pregnant. Oh my goodness. How did this happen? Oh my goodness. And then it was like, what would my grandmother think? And my grandmother, and I got the sense that her grandmother's name was Maria. And, you know, just should I have this little girl and da 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 and going on and on and on. Anyways. So then in the massage, I was like, it would be weird to tell her that I know that she's pregnant, right? Would it be weird? I don't know. So I didn't what end up saying anything. No, that's where it scares me. What if she doesn't know? Yeah. So I didn't say, or I'm going to freak around and let her know that like, you know, I could, I knew her grandmother's name because I could hear in her, in her mind saying it, saying it, saying it. So I didn't say anything. And then a few months later, um, maybe, I mean, maybe about a year later, because me and my girlfriend, Jenny, uh, speaking of Jenny, we used to like, you know, our yearly spa day. And, um, I went back and I was like, Oh, can I have, can I have my same as Susie's last time? She was great. And they go, Oh, she's on that leaf. Sure. Of course. And I was like, I knew it. You know, I knew it. Same with me. So when, when I can't tell you the number of times that I've had massage, men or women, and I, they're just we're talking, and I don't like to talk during massage. I want to mentally mm-hmm. go away, right? Mm-hmm. But there's something that there's the energy, and it's it's an intimate thing, a massage mm-hmm. between two people, and uh, you, I'm feeling it. The, the conversation, I can't stop. I can't stop this conversation, and sure enough. There she is, and she's talking about her first marriage and the abuse and, and how bad, and, and here's trauma. And you're just hearing the most intimate details of this person's, the stranger's life. People talk to me mm-hmm. about stuff that it's like, mm-hmm. and, and, and I want to joke and just say, you don't know me. You just, you just downloaded some of the, mm-hmm. but I do take it as a personal honor. I take mm-hmm. it as a... Um, a compliment and that they trust me and it's a very uh what's the word i want you know it's a very sacred confidentiality 
mm-hmm. that if they're going to do that, and they do, a lot of people do that with me, mm-hmm. that I, I know that I, I will keep that just with me. Mm-hmm. It's not about telling other people. It's not about that. And I want them to know and trust that what you just shared with me just stays with me, you know, mm-hmm. but it happens. Mm-hmm. It happens. Yeah. I can't even tell you how many out of, you know, the interviews I've done before we, before I hit record, usually it's like 20 minutes and people are, you know, telling me something super crazy, super angry, super saddening that just happened to them. And I go, okay, do you want to, do you want to postpone the interview? Do you want no, 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 no. And then I'll hit record and they're like, I feel like I just like word vomited all over you. <laughs> right. And, and that, I'm like, it's good. You have to let it out. You have to let it out. That happens with my clients. Um, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. somebody calls me and says, look, we need help with our home. It's not working. We need your help. And I go, they think I'm going to fluff some pillows. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe, you know, some color theory and okay. If you want to redesign the fireplace, whatever. Right. Yeah. What they don't know and they don't love it really is that I spend a lot of time talking, talking, interviewing, listening, let's go out to lunch. I want to see your closet. I'm going to, I'm getting in their heads as much as I need to, because I need to find out where they find beauty mm-hmm. because I'm not coming to decorate your home. Mm-hmm. I'm coming to help transform how you live in this home. I want to change how you see this home, how you feel when you come here. This is going to be transformative. You don't know it yet. And if I tell you all this, it's going to be overwhelming. So I try to keep it low, but there we are, Billy, and we're at lunch. And she's talking about her brother in the ni- 1980s and her brother died of AIDS and she's crying. And, and it's the most emotional, soul-bearing conversations that I have mm-hmm. with, my, with the husbands or the, and or the wives that you get these um, and you know that they trust you enough to let that guard down. And you know mm-hmm. that you've been given something very precious that you, that you must hold. And, and hold it very carefully because mm-hmm. it's a window into where they find beauty or mm-hmm. how am I going to help move you to this place, you know? And mm-hmm. um, like storytelling, like so much of what we just talked about, I want to influence their lives. I don't want to come decorate. Anybody mm-hmm. can do, oh, throw up. You know what? Okay, <laughs> we'll put some green pillows in and call it an accent. Okay, Instagram it, whatever. <laughs> no. I want to, I want to go beyond that, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and deliver something that is like, whoa, you know, I don't want people to walk into a room and go, oh, wow. You know, I want them to go, whoa, Mm -hmm. oh, wow. Okay. You know, wow. And, um, so yeah, that whole, like, like at the beginning of a podcast that you get, it's just this, um, very special trusting moment, you know, with people. Mm -hmm. Well, even working at a hair salon for so many years, when a new client would walk in and, you know, they would be a blonde with long hair. I want to dye it dark, cut it short. And I was like, they're either just had a breakup, they're going through a breakup, they're about to change their life. And then I, you know, you know, match them with a hairdresser and they sit down and without a doubt, every single time someone would come in or especially a new client say they want to change their hair, the hairdresser would tell me after the fact, oh yeah, she just went through a divorce or, you know, her parents just passed away or, sure. you know, he just sold his house and now he's moving across, across, across the country because without a doubt, someone that's going to change their hair is changing their life. And same thing, someone that changes their living space they're changing their life well, or they're I, trying to. I've had men that are 
you know, quote unquote single and they, they have girlfriend they love very much, but he wants to do some things to the house because she's going to be moving in and you mm-hmm. get to talk to him and you find out he's either going to propose or he has proposed actually whatever. Right. But you know, she's moving in. Right. I'm like, Bob, we're not doing anything. I, <laughs> I need to meet her. I need to meet Kathy. No, no, no. It's going to be cool. We're going to, but no, no, no. I want a leather sectional over here. I'm sure you do. I don't know that Kathy does because Bob, new wife, new house. Mm-hmm. What I do air quotes, new wife, new house. And, uh, and I mean it in a good way, but mm-hmm. women especially, they don't want to move into the first wife's house they don't want to move into it's got to be you know she and her new partner together it has to be our home and Mm -hmm. um a a woman will be intent on creating that you know Mm -hmm. so uh no and then i won't i'll stop and you either introduce me to kathy or i'll wait until you're married or i don't know but i'm not gonna sit here and buy things then she's gonna be like you know who who did who's this brad guy he did this horrible Because she's going to want redone. Let me call Billy Buttery instead. She'll probably help me, you know. Uh, but anyway, so but it's a funny, that. funny business. Yeah. I, I studied a little bit of interior design at one point in my life when I was very young. I wanted to be an architect. And then um, I decided that that was just too many numbers. So then I looked into interior design. <laughs> I did one course. I wanted, I was to, be, young, though. I was 16, I wanted to be an architect also, but I think it was really more... Um, I've, I've told the story a million times, but um, I was born in, in the Indianapolis area, and our Holt Renfrew was a store called Ellis Ayers, and it was the fancy. And so um, you're too young, you don't know this, but back in the day, women would buy their nicer clothing at lunch. You would go to the department store's dining room and the models would walk through the room and my mother would say, I'll try on the green Balenciaga. Oh, there's a black Dior. I'll try that on. And then after lunch, the dresses would be laid out in her size and they'd fit them. And, you know, so my mother always took us. You know mm-hmm. how it is because you did the same thing. You get dressed up, of course, and you sit mm-hmm. at white tablecloth. And there we are, you know, in this probably was just maybe a glorified tea room. I don't know. To me... I romanticize memories, but no, I remember clearly this room, a lot of white and the walls were white, crystal chandeliers. There was a lot of sunlight coming in and we were at a table. My two sisters, uh, we got coloring books. There was a coloring book for boys, coloring books for girls. And, um, there was a column right at our table right next to us. And I, I don't remember if it was a fluted or, or smooth column that went up. And I, I now, I now know that the top of it was a Corinthian capital. And I'm looking around this room, I think I was six, and I knew in that moment, I'm going to be part of this world. Mm-hmm. I am going to be part of this world. Now, I think I might have been able to share with you that it wasn't really about fashion. I, mm-hmm. don't, I don't know that I would have been able to explain that it was about the built environment, but that's what it was. I'm going to create these environments. I just knew it. And then growing up, life happened. That's another story. Uh, but... I'll take architecture. I'll take interior design. It all starts to come together. And, uh, but it wasn't until I was 50 years old because I was trying to deny doing this thing. And I was in a very successful real estate career. I was making a lot of money working five days a week as hard as I can. But on my two days off, I would drive into DC to the, 
the premier, the, the, the dean of interior design, Justine Sancho, took me under her wing and somehow decided to train me a little bit. And I would go down with my design boards at 50 mm-hmm. freaking years old and a suit. I, I would dress up and I would go see Justine and she would go, what are you doing? Why would you put this fabric on a, on a bedspread and then this fabric on the curtain? And I'd be like, oh shit. Okay. And I'd snatch it back and I would come back the next week with my refinements and, you know, and it started to be like water over a dam. I couldn't deny it. Mm-hmm. And I resigned from my job. I gave him two weeks notice and all my friends were free because I was the celebrated, accomplished, award-winning real estate guy. You got to mm-hmm. be kidding. And you're giving up how much income you're doing. I couldn't help it. Yeah. You have to do what you love. If you deny it, it's going to come. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're never too old. I think, you know, my great grandmother, um, she started selling real estate, I think, when she was in her 50s or 60s. And she lives until 105. 105. 105. Yeah. So, and you're never too old, I think. Well, and, you know, here I was. Do what you love. I was at 50, which is not unheard of, starting this career. But even at, I'm 65 now. It was a couple of years ago. I got a couple of friends, you know, and they're in retirement. They love their grandkids. They can't, and they keep saying to me, are you still working? And I'm like, you're retired? Mm-hmm. How do you retire? I mm-hmm. can't even, for me, I know for some people it's a lifelong goal and it's important and I think I get it. But for me, I, I love what I do so much. I'm still drinking the Kool-Aid of my business. So, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, so okay. if you weren't a mom and you didn't have a podcast, mm-hmm. I mean, I can either ask you, what is your dream, my dream vocation my dream. or, or what would you be doing? You know? You know, it's always been a little dream of mine since I was a little kid, architecture, you know, fashion center, all these things, you know, have come and gone. But I remember having this vivid picture and it's a lifelong dream. And my husband always jokes one day, you know, you'll have your little cafe. I want a little cafe with beautiful little sandwiches and wonderful coffee. But there's also on the weekends, we have a little setup with little bouquets. So when you come in and you pick up your little croissants and your muffins and your coffee you can pick up a little bouquet to bring home with you and you can you know it's like very european so at 5 p.m if you want a glass of prosecco you can have a glass of prosecco or a negroni or you know an aperol spritz that's just my little dream whether that's in the city or that's in you know a little farm country road or you know in a little piazza somewhere in europe that's just my forever goal my one day that will happen goal tell me me why (laughs) I just love feeding people. I think that's what it comes down to. I want people, I want to feed people. I want to, you know, make you a coffee. I want you to start your day. You know, you're, it's raining and you forgot your umbrella and now the bottom of your suit's wet and your shoes are wet. And you're like, oh, I just need my coffee. And you're running to the office and you pop in and it's bright and sunny inside and you get your coffee and you take your sip and you're like, oh, okay. Now I can face the rest of the day, you know? So yeah, uh, baristas are, are little are little angels in the morning when that's what you need, right? <laughs> and delicious croissant, that can be a thing of beauty. So that's like my forever goal, uh, my one day goal. But now that the kids are starting to get a little bit more independence, it's, I'm slowly starting to get back into reading, which I feel, you know, I kind of get the juices flowing when I'm reading. Um, but I don't know. I think the next year will be interesting. Hopefully I'll have both kids and full-time care. And then I'll be an, a, a real housewife 
with no kids. We'll see what happens. <laughs> go out for lunch. I'll be a lady who lunches again. Well, I, I like that idea, you know, and we're all so different. Um, you know, there are some women that are like, no, I've got to have an occupation. I've got to have um, maybe something that helps define me. Um, and then there's other women who are like, no, I'm, I'm loving being at home. I go out with my friends. But I think we all find a way to be meaningful. And whether through that's charities or philanthropy or whatever, you know, you, we, we all find our, our, our niche. Um, you made me think of something and I've always wanted to ask you, what's your favorite red wine? Now, I, just to sit and drink, you know, mm-hmm. what do you love? Um, I love a Rioja. Okay. Yeah. Especially we love, we eat a lot of spicy food and I just love it. Just if I'm sitting and I'll have a little piece of cheese or some olives, I love a Rioja. So for our listeners, a a Spanish Rioja, tell me, tell us how that is like a Pinot Noir, but then again, it's not exactly like a Pinot Noir. You know, we don't drink a lot of Pinot Noir, to be honest. So I don't know if I'm, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, th- I think I used to drink Pinot Noir when I was single, but my husband really loves old world, dirty sort of um, rich. earth soil, sure. rich wines. Yeah. So we drink a lot of Chianti, a lot of Rioja. Um, he really likes, what's the French one that he really likes? Um, not a Beaujolais, but a, a Chateau de Pape. What oh, wine I is love it? a Chateau de Pape. Yeah. You're killing so. me. Yes. Nothing like so. it. Yeah. Cote Bon. A Cote Bon. Mm-hmm. Yes. The same area. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, so for your husband, it would be, you know, Chateauneuf du Pop or Cote Bon. But for you, it's, um, I think they're a little spicier. They're a little zestier. Mm-hmm. Uh, a hint. You know, there's a, there's a bigger um, presence up front, I think, with a Chianti or, or um, a Rioja. I, mm-hmm. I didn't drink a lot of them, so I don't, I don't know, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I do like a white wine every once in a while. I like like a really buttery wine, especially if I'm having Chard- shrimp. Or, yeah. 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 My favorite. Well, hmm, I don't really have favorites, but okay. Two of my very, very top wines were Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, but they, <laughs> you know, if you drink wine, you know, there's so many. I really gravitate towards the big buttery structured the really buttery you know rich chardonnays <laughs> you think it must be golden in color the way it tastes yeah, you know yes there's something about that fullness the roundness um i can take some pear i can take some apple that's all fine and good you want a little vanilla mm-hmm. in yours that's fine but this is some more subtle it's bit and then pinot noir which mm-hmm. can be a some people yeah, it's a little bit lighter than your big structured Saint Emilions and things, but um, the really good Pinot Noirs that have the amount of fruit that holds up to the terroir that your husband loves, you know, that earthy, <laughs> all of that. So, um, and I'm, I, I hope I'm correct. It's a long time ago, but a, a Chardonnay that was great in that buttery sense was Burgess. Mm. winemaker in California, Burgess, if I, if I remember correctly, but uh, I should yeah. write that down. Yeah. I think I've been craving what I've been craving, like a really delicious grilled shrimp atop some fettuccine with like a really nice Chardonnay. So yeah. I'm going to have to make that happen soon. <laughs> well, I have a question for you because when you were talking about the memory of your mom shopping, one of my top, top five favorite movies is the women. 
the original. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right. And then the, the fashion show scene is only seen in color in that movie. I don't remember that. Now, wait a minute. I've seen that movie twice, I think. Yeah. Oh, it's fabulous. Wait a minute. You're saying that the, the women, the original film, Mm -hmm. the women Mm -hmm. filmed in black and white. Mm Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the actresses, but we all know their names. They're famous. Joan Crawford. Um, what's her name? Anyways, yes, all of them. All, those all fabulous. And it was all in black and white until this fashion scene that came in color? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The fashion scene is maybe three or four minutes long, and it's in color. I don't remember that film switching to color at all. I have to watch mm-hmm. it now. It's almost like a little bit of like a dream sequence in the middle of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's one of your, what was one of your top five favorite movies? I won't make you name all of them, but. Movies? I know one of yours. Yeah. Uh, the movies are one of the most transportive things for me, and I, I, I would I would just go all over the map. I mean, you you know I don't mm-hmm. have favorites of anything, but mm-hmm. uh, so gosh, uh, Memoirs of a Geisha comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I had read the book first, which is not usual for me, and the imagery in this book and the story and the imagery and where I was, it took me to this place in Kyoto and the. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And um, I related in a lot of ways to the book. I never saw a movie ever capture the same imagery. I'm like, how they do that? How they get that tree right there? That's what they said in the book. What? And the movie was every bit as big and delicious and moving and transportive. And so that's one of my favorite movies. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love it very much. Um, I, I don't know why a moment ago, um, it flash room. It's a very dark movie, very hard to watch. But if you ever seen Requiem for a Dream, no, yeah, you probably don't want to. If you don't want your kids to do drugs, wait till they're about twelve. Sit them down and put this movie on. They won't do drugs. <laughs> it is at once one of the biggest, best movies that I've ever seen. Well done. Oh wow, the energy. It's horrible. And I'll never watch it again. Mm-hmm. It's that indelible. It, wow. So that's big. Um, gosh, I mean, the movie American Beauty. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I might yeah. just keep going. It so good ones. What, yeah. What genre? And, you know, mm-hmm. um, I don't do big action movies. So, you know, if we want to talk Batman or Spider-Man, I'm like, okay, I'm, I, I'll watch it with you. Um, I like a good James Bond movie. But the no. latest James Bond was good. We just watched it Did uh, you? a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. it was good. I heard it was his, very He looks good. great. Pardon? Daniel Craig. Mm-hmm. It was, and it was apparently his, his last one. His last so one. We'll see. I heard. Yeah. I heard not only did he look great, but it was like a really good good one. It was, I love the old Bond movies. My husband doesn't really like them. He thinks that they're a bit slow, but I love them. And to me, it was a little bit of a throwback to the older ones because his suits were fantastic. The cars were fantastic. The scenery was fantastic. It was all just visually so gorgeous. And the evil villain's lair was so fabulous. Oh, yeah. Sean Connery <laughs> was my favorite Bond. You know, mm-hmm. but uh, gosh, what, what are a couple of your favorite movies? Favorite movies. I like you. I have such a wide, uh, wide gamut. But I thought of the women when you were talking. And um, have you ever seen What Dreams May Come Did with I, uh, with Robin no. Williams? No. Oh, you need to watch it. It's heartbreakingly beautiful. What Dreams May Come. I've heard of yeah. it. Yeah. It's so. Whenever I need a good oh, cry, with I put Robin it on. Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. 
I've heard of this. Yeah. And I heard that you need to be ready to watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have some Kleenex nearby. Yep. Have some Gatorade because you're going to be dehydrated from all the tears. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, it's so good. And I, I've been meaning to rewatch that one. I have also, I have always loved reading fiction, but based on sort of like World War II era love stories and different things like that. So my husband and I are going through like a big World War II movie phase. So we just watched Monuments Men uh, again recently. Um, so good. See, I it's, just lied to you. I told you I don't like big action, but have you seen Saving Private Ryan? So I've only seen it once, oh, years and years ago. Oh, so I, it's on our list to watch. It's yeah. superb. Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. Oh, we, I can just keep going. There's some that are just iconic to me. Yeah. Well, we tried to, I had never seen The Pianist, um, and we tried yeah. to watch it maybe two weeks ago, but we, our city had just gone into lockdown, and I was like, about an hour into the movie, I was like, I can't watch this anymore. <laughs> I just can't. Again, we'll watch it again. Another, another big drama, months. actually. The Star Wars stuff, I really enjoyed that, but um, have you seen the new movie, Dune, that came out? We haven't seen it yet. No, no, no. It's you Yeah, we're waiting until it's available for until. Timothy Chalamet and all the actors, that's all great, right? Um, mm-hmm. the plot is good. Um, the movie moves. I like the story, but it's the design, mm. the design of the underground world, the design of the spaceships, no way, the design of their costumes there. Oh, mm-hmm. the movie is, um, slick. It's well-designed. It is, to see it. it is a total package. I think of very good acting, really good for an action movie for me. I don't always love them. There's something about Timothy Chalamet and his father's relationship that's great. Uh, so the story's great, but it's to me it was this is this is put together. This is mm-hmm. well done. The whole yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I can't wait to see it. Have yeah, you? And you seen have to that? see it. You have to see that in a theater in a big screen. Yeah, I don't know don't if theaters even, are open here right I now. I don't care. Then wait. Don't play around <laughs> with the TV. It's not the same. <laughs> you should see the size of our TV. Okay. <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love, and I love going to the movies. I, that's something I definitely miss. I love, and I'll go to the movies by myself. So when I come up, we'll have to go to a movie because mm-hmm. we got to, um, the whole experience of it. I love it. You're just transported. No one, it's like being on a plane, like your cell phone's off. No one can get a hold of you. Yep. You're sitting, you're immersed. You're, you're just so into it. I just, I love going to the theater. I love it. You know, I'd love to collage. So what's been on my mind is what is the visuals for spring, summer? What are we looking at? What are we feeling? How are we feeling? How are we shaking off? Hopefully this pandemic, you know, what are you, when you close your eyes, what are you seeing or feeling for? Uh, Good question. Well, good question. And my crystal ball is actually in the shop. I'll have it probably (laughs) next week. I think it's coming back. So, uh, so of course I don't know, and I don't think anybody really knows, but I'll, I think I'll share what I'm feeling and it may not be, you know, here's practical tips for spring decorating, but I don't, I don't, I don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't love trends. Um, mm-hmm. I, I hope that people feel my, my interior design is very classic. It's timeless. It's what's really going to stand, you know, some test of time. Um, when these companies come out with color of the year, mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't do that. I can't. <laughs> Color's color. Mm-hmm. It's just sitting there. We It didn't do anything. It's just sitting mm-hmm. there. We're the ones that make color horrible. You know, 
I had a client one time, you know, well, you can do this room this way, do whatever you want, really, I trust you, but don't do mauve or gray of a generation in the 1950s, those horrible mm -hmm. color. And then in this room, you can do whatever you want here. It's a guest room. No footboard on the bed, but beyond that, you know, do what you want. I trust you. Just no mauve or gray. And I'm like, Martha, what? And then finally, at some point, you know, every room, but don't, don't do mauve or gray. Um, what's mauve and gray got to do with it? Martha didn't do anything. You know, mauve and gray is a perfectly <laughs> fine color. We, we're the ones that make it go in and out of fashion. And I start mm -hmm. talking about the perception of color, the light refraction and how the marketing and the, it's really just a mumbo jumbo that doesn't matter when you have a beautifully classic room that mm -hmm. could be, and she let me finish and she looks right at me and she goes, isn't that nice? I don't want mauve or gray. <laughs> I said, yes, ma'am. And that was okay. that. But I Check. did, I did my first show house room in mauve and gray and it was a huge hit and blah, blah, blah. But I'm not a fan of us pushing color around or, or ideas around that it becomes, and especially now the way things have been and it's been show, so shut down that I do feel, I do feel that we're all looking for spring in a metaphorical sense and a mm -hmm. literal sense. And I think that idea, as you just said, you know, I'll come up and visit, we'll be in your backyard, but I'm bringing fresh peonies big masses of, of white and pink peonies. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and then your husband comes home, the kids are home from school and we're at your dinner table and I'm bringing, um, Gerber daisies, masses and masses of, you know, spring bulb flowers, you know, mm -hmm. I love mm -hmm. freesia, whatever. And I think we're looking for that table setting, that, that, that spring lamb with fresh peas. We're looking for mm -hmm. that bright Pinot Noir to go with it. We're looking for the, the optimism of what will come. Just to answer your question, I think in the next few months, we're all going to look for more intimate ways to find the moment. And for Valentine's Day, mm -hmm. we never have before. My partner and I, we let it go. I don't know. We're too old for all that, right? No, I think this Valentine's Day, I'm going to order, we have a wholesale relationship with us. I'm going to order the most embarrassing amount of roses. <laughs> yes. I won't share Celebrate how much, love. but I'm going to make the biggest, you know, and then have people for dinner to say, it's us, it's intimate. We can celebrate this way. And mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm looking at a floral arrangement right now here in my office. It's just gorgeous and it's a mix and it's just fresh. And I think there's a, a moment with flowers, you know, they mm -hmm. don't last. Well, and that's what I think. I, when I close my eyes and I think of spring 2022 or summer, I just see flowers everywhere. Yeah. I don't know why I everywhere. do too. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it is a way to be intentional. I think it mm -hmm. is a way to be in the moment. I think it's a way to say we're going to feel this freshness even if it's just only in our face because we can't go out and see it on the news channel. I can't mm -hmm. go out and see it in the streets of Toronto. I can't always see this wave of freshness coming that I so deeply desire. Mm -hmm. I think, Billy, I think it has to come from within. And, and I think for me, it's going to continue to be this evolving conversation in my own head about where do I find beauty? Mm -hmm. And I know I find it in fine, fine equestrian horses. And I find it in children and young people. I find beauty in a lot of things and places, but I think it's time to say, okay, and that's all great, Brad. Where do you find beauty inside? Yes. And where mm -hmm. do you find it deep inside? Get quiet and um, 
maybe that's a reckoning. Maybe that's mm-hmm. what the universe was delivering with this virus. Who knows, right? I don't have an answer. I do, I see in, in, in interior design, we have gone through some funny periods that I understand how they work. It's marketing. Uh, I see us coming back to a place of rational color and, and not chaotic color. Mm-hmm. I see us moving to a place, you know, this maximalism. Let's let's put this chair from the 20th century, but put this chair with the 19th century, and then do a killum rug, but put on a modern Maplethorpe on the wall, and this mix will be. Hmm. I've seen some horrible stuff come out that I personally don't agree with. I mm-hmm. see a lot of homes that don't have window treatment. One, not one. I see a lot of homes, no rugs. I mean, I just see these, they're photographed in shelter magazines. This is, mm-hmm. this is it. You know, this is the home. We decorated it. I'm like, you have a white sectional. You have a, a raw wood table. What? Mm-hmm. That's not, I mean. Yeah. Were you going to soften the room? Was there acoustical? Was there any lighting? What did you pay attention to? Hardly any color theory. White walls, mm-hmm. black outline windows, and then wood furniture. Brown. It's like, yeah. I see us returning to a more upholstered way mm-hmm. of life. I see softer, softness. Softer, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see us coming to color, maybe in more historic colors or ever so slightly muted, you know, not as tangerine, not as wild. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that exuberance was just like, I don't know what to do, throw it on the wall and, and it's Instagrammable. Mm-hmm. Or it's, or it's, we're in a pandemic, so just make a splat. Or I think there's going to be some reason. And, yeah. and I think reason in so many ways, reason in our own minds, reason, mm-hmm. reason that the universe is asking us to find reason in our own minds. I think reason to get back outside, get to know your next door neighbor. Mm-hmm. So that we really digressed. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, I love, I love a good tangent. You know me, I love a good tangent. Me too. <laughs> well, okay. So we're planning a trip for you to come visit. Yep. We're going to have a lovely, lovely movie date. We're going to have some lovely meals and we're just going to frolic and have sunshine roses. <laughs> the frolic in Toronto. We'll call that trip. That'll be great. Yeah. That'll be great. Well, Mother, thank you so much for having me, Brad. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Always, always. It's great. Um, but there you go. You have it. So I adore you. I think you're the best. We must mm-hmm. have known each other in another life and mm-hmm. um, our parallel journey will continue. We'll continue for sure. Well, thank you so much, Brad. Love you and have a wonderful day. Love you too. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. If you're interested in more about Well-Designed Lives, follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, see you next week.